Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future with totally new sources of information that will change the way you run your business. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is. This may surprise you. It may be an eye-opener. It may be a wake-up call. It may make you sad. I've just told you, you may be at risk. Here's a quote from a guest contributor named Rick Kelly, who wrote in Entrepreneur.com in an article called Creating a Culture of Innovation Starts with the Leader. Here's the quote. Research by McKinsey revealed that 94% of their surveyed executives were dissatisfied with their company's innovative performance. Now, that sentence is packed with good information. Executives who were surveyed, so somebody asked them a question. Dissatisfied, that's not good. Their company's innovative performance, that's what we're talking about today. So let's do a little background here. Since digital disruption started not that long ago, survival in our competitive global economy, now any business is going to be global. I don't care how local, how mom and pop you think you are. In some way, somehow, through your supply chain, through your customers, through word of mouth, through social media, you're going to be global. And so survival in our competitive global economy has required innovation. Here's a fact of life. Now, this has a, is a statistic you may have heard before, but we're going to tell it to you again because it says a lot. Only 12% of the Fortune 500 from 1995 were still in business in 2016. Now, that's just 21 years. For a robust business, that's not a long time. They are not around. Only 12% survived. So, businesses today need to understand and embrace technologies like, you know what I'm going to say, machine learning, artificial intelligence, that's ML and AI, digital currency, blockchain, Bitcoin, big data, and so much more. No longer is innovation just about creating new products. It addresses every aspect of our lives every day and every process in every business everywhere. That's a huge global statement. So the challenge we're going to discuss today is how can you adopt a strong innovation culture? Maybe you already have one and you're sitting there laughing and saying, oh, Bonnie, come on, we're ahead of this. We already know this. And maybe you're saying, what? Innovation culture? We thought we'd take a couple people in a room, teach them design thinking, let them come up with some ideas, put them in an incubator and say, okay, well, maybe someday. Uh Uh-uh. So how's that going for you? I have a panel of three experts. They all happen to be from SAP today. They're brilliant, and they're going to help us examine this very important topic. Let me tell you who they are before I introduce them. So first up in a moment, I'll be pleased to introduce Hosen Min, M-I-N. He's the global head of Envision Practice at the Value Prototyping Center of Excellence Global Customer Office at SAP. That is a huge business card for Hosen. And joining him is Serbi Sheth Shah, Senior Director and Head of Strategy Programs and Operations on the SAP Innovation Center, Silicon Valley Management Team. Welcome to Serbi. And Annie Hayward, what do you do? I am the head of SAP Silicon Valley's Executive Briefing Center. 
Thank you very much. Very important title as well, brief and to the point. So let's go around, back around the table to Hosen Men. And Hosen has sent us a wonderful quote from Jean-Paul Sartre. That's my best French accent. Jean-Paul Charles Amar Sartre, 1905 to 1980, was a French philosopher, playwright, novelist, political activist, biographer, and literary critic. Hosen, everybody from that era seems to have been doing at least 8 to 22 things. Very interesting. What most people may not know is his mother was the first cousin of Nobel Prize laureate Albert Schweitzer. Just a little bit of sidebar there. Sartre was a key figure in the philosophy of existentialism and phenomenology and one of the leading figures in 20th century French philosophy and Marxism. Aha! Look him up if you don't know who he is. S-A-R-T-R-E. Here's the quote Hosen has selected from Monsieur Sartre. Only the guy who isn't rowing has time to rock the boat. Hosen Min, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you doing, Bonnie? Well, thank you very much for asking. I'm doing fine. I'm thrilled to be talking to you and Serbi and Annie. So tell me how you picked this quote from Sartre. Of all people, uh, how did you find the quote and how does it relate to our topic on innovation culture? Hosen? Yeah, so um, you know that um, that there are hundreds or thousands of executives around the world that are visiting Silicon Valley? searching for uh, the innovation or the motivation of innovation. And I have a chance to speak with uh, many of them every year and uh, discussing about the challenges today in the innovation and challenges tomorrow in the innovation space. Um, This quote is well representing that what's the perception of innovation culture today? And... um, And then, and then it kind of gives us the idea that, okay, what should we do to create the innovation culture? So the, the, the Sean Paul's, um, I, of course, obviously, I never met him, um, but he might <laughs> mean that um, in the, in, um, the low performer in the enterprise might have a lot of time to make a trouble. And a high performer probably they are too busy to innovate. So um, if, when I talk to other executives around the world, I mean, this is one of the hot topics for them. What is the strategy? How to create the innovation culture strategy? Who are the main target to rock the boat? And nowadays, rocking the boat is not only uh, making a trouble. Rocking the boat is, uh, is, a, is a part of innovation. So we need to rock the boat, but then in a proper manner. So um, there are a lot of questions behind it, and all of these need to be addressed to create the innovation culture. So that's that's the reason I, I chose this quote. Thank you. And very good point that we need people to rock the boat because that's where innovation comes from. Somebody saying, now nah, we're not going to keep doing it the same old way. Really great, great analysis of that. Hosen, thank you so much and welcome to the show. And now let me turn our attention to Serbi Sheth Shah. If you're looking her up, her name is S-U-R-B-H-I, last name Sheth, S-H-E-T-H hyphen S-H-A-H. And she has sent us a very interesting quote from Thomas 
A. Thomas Alva Edison, who lived from 1847 to 1931, also a major master of all kinds of skills. He was an American inventor and businessman, developed devices that greatly influenced the world, including the phonograph. Some of you call it the record player. Some of you, I, we used to call it the stereo. The motion picture camera and the long-lasting practical electric light bulb. He was called the Wizard of Menlo, M-E-N-L-O Park, one of the first inventors to apply the principles of mass production and large-scale teamwork to the process of invention. So he understood invention and innovation. He certainly did. He holds more than 1,093 U.S. patents and more in the U.K., France and Germany. And Serbi, here's a little factoid. Uh, this past Monday was the 100, no, this past Saturday, the 21st of October, was the 100, I think, 79th anniversary of Edison actually inventing a workable electric light in his lab in Menlo Park, New Jersey. There you go. So here's the quote Serbi has selected. If we all did the things we are capable of doing, we would literally astound ourselves. Serbi, welcome to Game Changers. How are you? I'm doing well, Bonnie. How about you? I'm, well, thank you. You're all so polite. I'm, I'm doing great because I'm talking to three brilliant people. So uh, very nice to have the three of you on. So, Serbi, tell me about this interesting quote. Who is going to astound themselves in this culture of innovation we're trying to achieve? I, When I was looking for a quote, I really felt that I could relate to this. And I believe that Thomas Edison, I think he truly must believe in the human spirit and the human mind. And... I've been in Silicon Valley. I'm an immigrant so, so, since last 25 years. And I often feel that in Valley, you see the spirit that people are not afraid of questioning or people are not afraid to push themselves to see what can be done. So if you really, I, I think that this really relates to what you see in Valley, uh, what you see is innovation culture. So, I mean, every decade, almost, that Valley has rediscovered itself, whether it was first with the computer hardware, it was chips, software, and now we are looking at a completely new business models of whether it's a crowdsourcing or shared economy. So the point is that if you truly believe that there is something that can be, uh, that I want to try out mm-hmm. and not really constrain yourself that, no, this is not how things are done. I think that's a fundamental change people have to believe in themselves to create this culture. So when we were talking about innovation, I felt that who else to represent it the closest than somebody who is one of the best innovators the, our, our society has seen, and that was Thomas Edison. And so that's why I decided that... Um, and, and when I read this, it just seemed so true, uh, whether even you talk about beginner's mindset, mm-hmm. that's a Zen philosophy. But again, it says the same thing, that look at things from a different perspective, believe in yourself and try out. And that's the reason why I decided to select this quote, because I, I feel that it's really very true to innovation culture that we want to uh, create. Thank you, Serbi. An interesting quote. I really appreciate your explanation, and I'm glad you aligned 
Edison with an innovator, invention, the person who was always thinking outside the box, outside the light bulb, outside everything that we knew. Um, I don't know how many people still use a phonograph. I just moved recently and I found I have a, a large record player from about 30 years ago. I don't have speakers for it. I think it still has some cable sticking out the back, but I brought it with me and I still own about oh, I don't know, two boxes, maybe 50, 75 LPs, actual vinyl records, the big long-playing albums. I don't know if I'll ever play them again, but I didn't want to give up that old quote-unquote technology. Uh, I'll find a way to hook it up to something, but it just it's uh, harking back to the day. So thank you very much, Serby. And now Annie Mew Hayward has been waiting so patiently, and Annie has sent us a quote from the song lyrics to the song Young Turks, 1981, you all know Rod Stewart. Uh, Young Turks is a song by Rod Stewart that first appeared in 1981 on his album Tonight I'm Yours. The track showed Rod Stewart with a new synth pop and new wave sound. Interestingly enough, the term Young Turk, which originates from the early, early 20th century secular nationalist reform party of the same name, is slang for a rebellious youth. I don't know if you knew this, Annie. It's slang for a rebellious youth who acts contrary to what society calls normal. This was released a few months after MTV first went on the air, and it was the first video they played that contained breakdancing, a.k.a. b-boying. And let me just read the quote, and then, Annie, just give me a moment. I want to read the part of the lyrics where it, it comes out. So the quote is, Time is a thief when you're undecided. And actually, the song uh, got to be known as uh, "Young Young Turks." I'm, I'm, I'm Young Turks. It's the lyrics. It wasn't the name of the song, but it got to be known as something else. I'll find it in my notes here in just a second. So they held each other tight as they drove on through the night. They were so excited. We got just one shot of life. Let's take it while we're still not afraid, because life is so brief. And time is a thief when you're undecided. And like a fistful of sand, it can slip right through your hands. Annie Hayward, welcome to Game Changers. I love the quote. How are you, Annie? I am just great, Bonnie. Thank you so much. And that was a wonderful, um, I would say, a little (laughs) biography on this song. And and the time. Um, I think I picked this quote. uh, You know, I think we live in an industry and a time now where everything does move so fast. Um, and actually, when you said uh, the rebellious youth, I think I was one of those. I think um, <laughs> innovators that we've known in our history have always been sort of out-of-the-box thinkers and uh, doing something that is against the current. And that's how I think new ideas are, are born. And uh, and I really think time is of the essence. So when I was, I, I think the song came on the radio and it took me back to a time when I was uh, a mere rebellious youth, not anymore, <laughs> but um, thinking about how how new thinking, you know, come come on the scene, and again, how you just have to act on that. So that's why I chose that quote. Thank you, Annie. And I did find my notes here. The phrase Young Turks, the title of the song, was never said in the song. Did you know that? He never used the phrase Young Turks. It's the title, but it's not in the lyrics. The chorus centers on the phrase Young Hearts Be Free Tonight. So people often say the song is called Young Hearts or Young Hearts Be Free. Not true. It's called Young Turks. Very interesting, Annie. And we just love to have music quotes. So thank you very much. And it gave me a chance to, to hark back. I was not a rebellious youth. I was really following all the rules. I didn't get to be rebellious till I was in my 30s or 40s. 
30s, but I think I am now. So there you go. It's, <laughs> Annie, it's never too late, right? It's never, never, never too, too late. late. So thank you to three of you. Great opening quotes. And now we want to get a little up close and personal with the three of you. I'll start with Hosen Min. Let's go around the table. Hosen, where are you calling from today, please? And what are you drinking if it's interesting? If not, what's your favorite drink in the whole wide world? Hosen Min, talk to me. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I don't want to surprise you, but actually I'm sipping a very cold coffee in the dark room in the, somewhere in the hotel, right next to uh, the Newark International Airport. Um, yeah, um, the, yeah I, I know that this cold coffee is kind of, um, it's not tasty at all, but um, <laughs> sometimes, you, you know that uh, sometimes when um, hot coffee gets cold, then you can smell better. So I, I don't really enjoy the coffee taste at the moment, but I can, I can enjoy the smell. And kind of that makes me relax. So. Well, thank you very yeah. much. And, uh, Hosen, I had my first yeah. cold brew coffee about two weeks ago at a Starbucks here. I moved to Durham, North Carolina. I'd never had cold uh-huh. brew, and I asked him if I could have it decaf, and the man at the counter just kind of laughed at me and said, no, <laughs> we don't make decaf. <laughs> you either want it. So I sipped it. I had it with, I don't know, some cream or some vanilla flavor. They put something in it. It was interesting. But about 20 minutes after I finished drinking it, and I was sipping it slowly, the caffeine just pumped into my veins. It was like, whoa, put a seatbelt oh, yeah, on. I'm going to fall off. That's the exact it, factor, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a very interesting flavor. Thank you, Hosen, and uh, appreciate you joining us. Serbi, Chef Cha, where are you today? And what are you drinking, or what would you rather be drinking? Oh, uh, hey, Bonnie. Uh, I'm drinking my what I drink every morning, and which is Indian chai. Um, this the reason why I enjoy it so much because uh, this is the Indian tea with lemongrass, ginger, and some special spices that my husband actually grinds at home to make what we call masala that's added uh-huh. to the Indian tea. And it's just the right blend to get your day started with the caffeine and all this spices to to give you the right energy to, uh, for the morning. So I like, I like the Indian chai. And um, if you are ever in, in California, because actually people, we have had friends who said we want to visit you because we want to have this tea. So ah. it's, it's really quite delicious. Thank you very much. That's a good recommendation. I will remember that next time I'm there. And now let's turn to Annie Mew Hayward. Annie. Where are you, and what do you love to drink the most in the whole wide world? So I'm in a little phone room in uh, Palo Alto, California. I'm currently drinking a decaf almond latte, but my favorite drink in the whole wide world is something called the Hong Kong-style milk tea. Um, it's, uh, I grew up in Hong Kong, so it's actually um, considered a, a, a local drink, and it's basically made with black tea and oftentimes condensed milk. So it's very rich and creamy and just a little bit sweet. And um, Hong Kong used to be a British colony, and I know most people know that the, the British usually take their afternoon tea with milk, and I think that's the origin. So using condensed milk is, is um, I guess, a version of the Hong Kong version of it, and it just reminds me of childhood and, and good stuff. And uh, I don't 
get it very much only on the weekends when there are some cafes in the neighborhood that do serve those. So that's my favorite drink. Thank you, Annie. I looked it up, and you can actually find it on Wikipedia. Did you know that Hong Kong-style milk tea has its own page on Wikipedia? It's a tea drink made from black tea and milk, usually evaporated or condensed, usually part of lunch in the Hong Kong tea culture. Although originating from Hong Kong, it is found overseas in restaurants serving Hong Kong cuisine and Hong Kong-style Western cuisine. In the show Top Eat 100, aired on February 4th, 2012, Hong Kong-style milk tea is ranked number four in Hong Kong cuisines. Hong Kong residents consume a total of 900 million cups of this a year. Did you know that, Annie? 900 million cups? Yeah, I probably... a million of that. (laughs) (laughs) So anybody wants to know and see pictures, it looks beautiful. There's a section on the origin. There's a section on the production, the criteria for quality milk tea, how creamy and full-bodied it is. There's a picture of varieties, and they even show an ice bath milk tea. Uh, The cup of milk tea is placed in an icy water bath so the tea can be kept cold without being diluted by melting ice. So they show a beautiful bowl with ice cubes and the cup of tea with a straw is sitting right in the middle of the ice cubes. That's very interesting. Thank you, Annie. Thank you to all three of you. What you don't know about me is they do not let me, Hosen, they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And I think you already know why. So I'm drinking a cold glass of water in a cool cool, clear mug. And today I picked a green straw because I'm here in North Carolina and the leaves have not really started to turn here yet. I'm looking out at a lot of green. The grass is green. The trees are still mostly green and the shrubbery is green. And that's a nice thing. So I'm not going to have to endure the New York weather for the first time in 35 years. Hmm. So there you go. So we are talking today about digital disruption and innovation culture. How is your company doing? Are you embracing it? Do you have your arms around it? Is your leadership understanding Understanding that you have to have a mindset of innovation. You can't sit still if you're going to be competing on a global basis, whatever industry, whatever your footprint is, whatever product or solution you're offering to the world. We have three special guests. They're all very creative and very innovative. The innovative mindset is part of who they are. Hosen Min, Serbi Sheth Shah, and Annie Mew Hayward. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will dive into the roundtable, starting off with some statements that Hosen Min sent me before the show. So you know what's coming next. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We'll be right back. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Insights from totally new sources of data, sensors that capture and share what is happening in your business environment, and the tools to understand it and act on it. These are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. Internet of Things with Game Changers is presented by SAP. Visit www.sap.com. 
If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Internet of Things with Game Changers. Exactly right. Here we are, Internet of Things. I have to do a shout-out to Adam Mardini at SAP, who is the master of putting together a great topic and a great panel. Adam, you knocked it out of the park again with this one, so thank you very much for all your work behind the scenes. We're speaking today with Hosin Min, Serbi Sheth Shah, and Annie Mew Hayward. I'm still Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be for the rest of the show. After that, all bets are off. Hosin sent me the following notes before the show. Here's where we're going to start the roundtable. And if you're just joining us, our official topic is surviving digital disruption. How is your company's innovation culture? And the, those two words have to go together, innovation and culture. It's not just how are you innovating or what's your culture. How is your innovation culture? That's where we're going with this topic today. So Hosen told me the following. He said the single most important success factor of innovation is the time to execute. Let me read a little more. New ideas are in fact everywhere and in the digital economy they are openly shared, but most enterprises are struggling to put winning ideas together and execute in a timely manner. There we have it. Hosen, please tell us more. All right. Yeah, so um, um, there are so many critical success factors for the innovation, and people might have their own views. But um, since I, I have been going through uh, over 200 innovative projects and speaking with the executive, uh, for me, uh, the one conclusion for me is that if I have to choose one single success factor, that's the organizational ability to fast execute the meaningful idea into the market. So um, when people talk about innovation, innovation has a simple uh, equation, like a cre- innovation equals creativity plus execution. And then a lot of people actually focus on the creativity, think out of box. But think out of box is actually the, the most difficult part, and I don't think this is a critical success factor. Because the idea is everywhere. Nowadays in the, in this, in the digital economy, you can easily collect and share the idea. But then what is the differentiator? For me, that's the execution. 
best time to execute. And then that also have, comes with a lot of uh, um, factors behind it. So uh, when, when I talk to the executive, they often talk about all the different process. They have a very unique process and that kind of differentiate. For me, the process is commoditized. It's more about the time to execute. And then out of the execution, iteratively, you collect the data or insight, and then you use that as a unique power to drive the execution. So that's, a, that's a one of the reasons that I pick it up as a first time to execute and uh, the you know, organizational culture and ability to drive this critical success factor. Thank you, Hosen. Before I bring Serbi and Annie into this, I have a quick question for you. We often hear yep. the new mantra, fail fast, fail often, or fail, learn from it, and try again. And I know there's an old, uh, Serbi, I think there's an old Thomas Edison quote, I have not failed 10,000 times, I have learned 10,000 yes. things on the way to failure, something like that. So when you're talking about time to execute and bringing a new solution or product to market, Hosen, how does that failure factor factor into it. I'm using the same word twice, but how does that factor into the time to execute? Should you fail in the market or fail in the prototyping stage? Just a quick comment from you, please. Absolutely fail early, fail in the prototyping. But if you have a fast time to execute, it doesn't, it doesn't just mean, mean of um, um, execution in the market. You have to go through the multiple iteration. And I, be, I don't believe that people can predict what's going to happen in the market, even though uh, people are so smart. So I uh, have to take it to the market or test it out first. Then you will see that a lot of aha and reality in the business mm-hmm. model. Thank you, Hosen. Good provocative opening statement for our roundtable. Serbi, Sheth, Chah, love to get your thoughts on this. Please join us. Uh, sure. So I think uh, I agree with Hosen, but I also feel that in order for companies to execute well, I think the team, the team needs to be in place where people are thinking about this, that how do we, so creative ideas, you do go through this design thinking, you go through all of those ideation and you decide on what is it that you're going to focus, but then you need a team of very strong uh, engineers as well as architects or the right, right mix where they are able to test things and also the business folks who are able to then validate it with the customer or whoever is your co-innovation partner. I think this time to execute is absolutely essential, but you need to have things in place in order for this to be successful. So it's true that you need to uh, try faster and fail faster to decide, but as Min said, how, nobody knows how market is going to react so your prototyping needs to be with more than one customer. This testing, this execution needs to be tried out at least a few times before you launch the product. So I think that the team that comes together to execute it is, is very critical in order for you to be successful there. That's, I would add that piece that we need to look at this uh, as a holistically. Who, who are the people who are going to be doing this? Thank you. Great point. We'll talk a little later about leadership, about where it comes, if it's from the top, if it's grassroots, if it has to be throughout, uh, holistically, as you said, throughout the whole organization. Annie Hayward, love to get your thoughts. Join us, please. Yeah, I love what my colleague just said. And I'll add to the fact that, you know, um, from the sense of having ideas, I agree with um, Hosen, there's really 
I think, never a shortage of ideas. In fact, we're full of them. I think it actually gets to be a recognition problem. Um, I think before you even get to executing, um, as uh, Servi said, there needs to be an infrastructure in place to to help companies um, gather those ideas and then recognize them, right? The, se- the selection of them. I think sometimes we can take fail fast a little bit too far, you know, kind of throwing spaghetti against the wall to see which string sticks. When I think it should be fail methodically, you should have some idea as mm. to what you're targeting and what you're trying to solve. I think innovation is really driven by a broad understanding of how the world works, that we're always asking why and why not questions. So, um, you know, I think time is of the essence of my quote, you know. Um, it's a thief when you're undecided that I think you need to put in place on top of, as a service at the team, really the, the organization structure that allows allows an organization to, you know, have a pipeline of ideas and have a system of selecting those ideas and then testing and implementing and measuring. Um, so um, it, it's, all, it's all good stuff. It's a lot of stuff. The companies who have done those well are the ones that um, survive, as you mentioned, Bonnie, earlier at the start of the show, right? You know, the, yeah. the information highway or the corporate highway is full of road kills. Um, companies that don't allow for this type of systemic, I think, innovation will fail. Thank you. Very interesting comment you made there, Annie. Fail fast, fail often, but fail methodically. Very, very interesting. Yes, it has to be a, a, a method to your madness. We used to call it trial and error, Annie. Trial, you know, in a scientific method, uh, do something, then change one variable and see if that works. So very interesting. I like your idea of throwing spaghetti against the wall or not. I was a, a programmer analyst back in the day, probably before most of you were even born. I'm aging myself. And when we would take up a program that needed to have something new added to it. I was coding in COBOL and in PL1 in two different facilities on the West Coast in uh, Oregon. And uh, we would call it spaghetti code, Annie, because it was so tangled and it was like throwing code up against the wall and seeing if it could work with the program that was already there with thousands and thousands. But I digress. Thank you for the sidebar allowing me that. So, Hosen, this was your opening topic. You want to comment on what Serbi and Annie, they both added such oh, interesting... Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so... <laughs> So let me let me expand a little bit more because it has a, a lot more meaning behind it. Um, of course, there are there are a lot of other aspects behind to enable this this capability to execute fast, like a consistent way of doing um, the efficient process, tools, organization, technology, capacities, commitment and policies and cultures and compensation system, all kinds of stuff. Um, but one of the reasons why I, I really pick it up as a critical success factor for innovation because because of the risk, because of the, the fear that the most of the executive has. You can imagine that the most of the executive is a great, has a great success history. They have a recipe of success in the past, but that's not the recipe of success in the future. So what they see is that they don't want to they don't want to fail and damage their reputation. Mm-hmm. So, um, so what happens is that if, they, if may, they make a big project and then they got scared, then they roll it back. So, um, so what I always propose to them is, uh, hey, um, you need to build up the capability to execute fast. Small things, but execute fast. But the cost, it, it always comes with a cost and mm-hmm. because they have to fund it. And think about this. The executive have to decide to spend the money, and 
they fail, and then they damage their reputation. If you have a standardized process and consistent process and organization sponsor it, and then the cost is reduced for each iteration, then they have a chance to win. So that's uh, one of the main reasons. This, this is going to trigger, this is going to address a chicken and egg problem. This is going to um, mm-hmm. um, kind of pro- provoke or catalyze their innovation culture. Thank you, Hosen. Very, very good. We're having a good conversation. I'm going to move to another part of, uh, Serbia, I'm looking at your notes here. And when we talk about culture, we're talking about people. And we talk about people in the workforce. Not too many people want to work for free unless it's their company and it's sweat equity and they're getting started, which could be part of an innovation in terms of knocking an industry back on its heels, which has happened with so many disruptions in hotels, in transportation, uh, in uh, delivery mechanisms in the past few years. But we're talking about people want to be compensated. So I'm going to read a little bit from one of Serby's notes and then I'll ask her to explain it. She says the reward structure plays a very important role in fostering innovation. As long as companies continue to use traditional compensation and bonus structure, and you know all know what that is, people will continue to focus on the traditional way of doing things, selling practices that only focus on the next quarter's bottom line and not at the big picture of the future for their organization. Serbi, talk to me. Tell us this is the status quo. How are we going to get away from this? Talk to me. Sure. So I chose this because we all, as there is a motivation, correct, that we are all going to work, we are excited and we are doing things, but you will do what you are measured against. So most of us have some kind of a performance um, criteria. There are, those are what we call as KPIs. Those are the ones that are measured and you are being rewarded for. Unless we look at it and say that how much innovation plays into that role, how you are going to encourage your people to come up with ideas and reward them for coming up with something that's really un- different, something that actually questions the current practice. They are, they are just going to try to stick to, so this is, this is very interesting because I've seen often people say that, okay, we are going to give you 10% of your time to do innovation. When you time box something, People can't come up with ideas. But if you know that if you come up with an idea, your manager or your management is actually valuing it and in the future is going to reward you, is going to give you benefit. And and this reward structure also needs to be, again, looked at because now in this day and age, there are, we have very different set of folks who are, who have, who are in the workforce. So baby boomers have been there. They have done things in a certain way. They are used to certain things. But if you see millennials, they actually look at rewards in a different way. For them, other things matter. They are looking at purpose for their work. So for me, this reward structure has to be looked at in order for it to speak to the people's ability to think differently, to encourage people to make them um, make them excited that you know what i have i want to find out is there a different way of doing it and if i say, if i try to do that i'm not going to be punished i'm not going, going mm-hmm. to be questioned but i'm going to be 
uh, uh, encouraged after finding out exactly what am I talking about. So I think reward structure plays a huge role in order for making this whole culture come together. Thank you, Serbia. Let me ask you a question before I get Annie and Hosen to chime in on this. Very interesting uh, suggestions there. Would one way to do this to create a team that is the the innovation design team, and as I mentioned earlier, a little bit offhandedly, I said stick them in a room, close the door, uh, maybe give them white walls and a whiteboard to write on, and and tell them you're now going to be our design thinking team, and we expect you to fail fast, fail off, and fail methodically, and come up with brilliant ideas that are going to change the path and draw us into the future. Is that the way to do it, or do you believe it has to be company-wide? What's your thought on that, Serbi? And then we'll get Annie and Hosen. I, I think it needs to be company-wide. There can't be just one group of people who think who do all the thinking and rest of it all follow. No, it, it needs to be company-wide because you don't know where the idea is going to come. It's not that only the selected people have the ability to think. I believe that sometimes the person who is dealing with something on a day-to-day basis and knows exactly what the issue is, no matter where they sit, they could be coming up with, you know what, I'm tired of doing it this way. I want to think differently. They, so I, it has to be grassroots level across the organization. It can't be just one group. No, I, I complete, that will not work. I mean, even if you do it, it's going to fail. Thank you very much. A lot of good comments, a lot of good topics in there. Annie Mew Hayward, we'd love to hear what you have to say. Join us, please. I was chomping at the bits, and I was so excited when Serbi said it's everyone's job. I wanted yeah. to give you a virtual high five, Serbi, because I absolutely <laughs> agree with that. I think innovation in, in an organization is everyone's job. As she said, good ideas can come from anywhere, everywhere, anyone. And um, I want to touch upon, you know, the discussion around culture. We've we spend a fair amount on, you know, innovation, what it means, uh, how it's done. And I think we've also touched upon culture, right? Culture is really a set of social behavior, the norms um, of how things are done. So if you have a very encouraging culture, how, like, like Serbi said, you know, we want to have a culture where everyone, everyone is encouraged to take risk, to try new things. And the, I think the structure of uh, support that tolerates mistakes um, and also rewards um, risk-taking. Again, methodical, you know, uh, taking calculated risk. Right? That um, that will continue to just spurn the innovation culture that we all, all companies want. Um, none of us wants to be that company that's no longer around in, in to you know another ten years and so forth. So um, uh, I, I I think that it's you know it's. Uh, I know we. I fullheartedly embrace the, the idea of just always thinking about new things. How can I do something better? How can I work with my my colleagues to do something better? And I know that companies who have that kind of culture um, typically have a higher return. Thank you, Annie. Very, very good observation there. I'd love to hear what Hosen Min has to say. Hosen, please join us. All right. Um, so let me peel one more layer of onion um, for this. this, this okay. So the, 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 dev, the devil is in the detail and the complexities behind it. The real structure and alignment of incentive system is very important. That's a, that's a, that's a hot topic or most imp- one of the most important topics for the executive. 
But if you if you think about why companies cannot do it, right? Because they already have those systems. They have uh, their company goal balance scorecard, which is also KPI aligned, and they are mandated, and their performance is measured. And the, all the organization is crazy, crazy about to meet the target. Um, the reality is that because it's mandated, when we talk about the innovation, it's very difficult to mandate. So what happens is that there is a loose association with those KPI. So, so normally, if so some organ, some company create a non-mandated organization, so they have they are free. They only have uh, the value as an MBO, and uh, there is no way to prove out. So that what happens is that running those organization, then 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 they have an issue of a career path of their people. Then they are kind of start to leave the company. There are all kinds of things are happening. So um, it's always difficult to have a right culture, and there is no short answer for uh, to how to build the, in, the reward structure. However, again, the back to the point of uh, fast time to execute. If you have an idea about the real reward system or influence mm-hmm. strategy to make the organization change, you have to execute it and then see and learn it from it and then change it, improve it on behalf of uh, or you, to, to customize to your organization. Thank you, Hosen. Serbi, I'm going to skip over, uh, instead of having you wrap this up, because this has been a good part of the conversation, I'm going to skip quickly because we're almost at the predictions round, and I want to make sure we pull up one topic from Annie's list. So forgive me, Serbi. But Annie, I'm looking at your notes here, and there's a statement that just jumps out at me. You say, beware your attachment to the cash cow. Oh, my goodness. And you say you, you have very generously and graciously sent me your, your entire history of working with innovation in various companies without naming the company. So, Annie, why don't you tell us quickly what this means, and then we'll have time just a minute or so to get a comment from uh, Hosen and Serbi. Go ahead, Annie. Yeah, definitely. This is, of course, based on my personal experience working in mm-hmm. both um, established companies as well as startups and also studying everything that's gone on in in Silicon Valley and in many companies. And I think my my fellow panelists have all touched upon this. Executives um, and and companies that have successes um, is, you know, the cash cow. It is, as Serbi mentioned, there's the quarterly um, Wall Street pressures. So it's really difficult to abandon that and, and take risk when part of innovating is that you don't know what the outcome is going to be. You have an, you have a, a aspirations, but I think, you know, to really truly arrive at great innovations, it, it can take multiple trials. So everything that we've talked about, you know, putting an innovation structure in place to harness the, the creativity ideas of everyone in the organization is great. But when it comes to, if Hosen was saying, to really execute, okay, I'm going to just pull the trigger on this, on this thing, on this idea, um, there is this ability to um, say, okay, I'm going to, you know, take this risk and al- allow a certain percentage of failure to take place. But I know in the longer, in the longer run, the company will do better overall. So um, I've seen where, you know, executive teams are, too risk-averse, and they keep wanting to bank on that cash cow. And any new technologies, they are just, you know, they put it aside, maybe someday in the future. And, again, I think our history is, is um, 
you know, filled with examples. And um, so, so that's, that's why I put down, you know, beware the cash cow because that can, that can just remove your, um, your appetite for just doing new things, just, you know, executing on them. Thank you very much. Well put, Annie. Uh, Serby, since I didn't give you a chance to wrap up your topic, you want to comment on Annie's, and then we'll give Hosen a minute, too, as well. Go ahead, Serby. Sure. So I, I think what Annie said is so true. And uh, the, the way market evaluates a company, so whether you take any company, but if you, if you have to show that you have made this X percentage revenue growth, that revenue growth normally comes from your established products. And when you're trying new things, that is not, sometimes that actually is not doing that well and then come, market punishes you. Whereas some of these new companies that come, they come out of nowhere, for them, they really, yet the market is not evaluating it at, on the same scale as the established companies who have been there for 40 years. So this is really the dilemma between the established companies who want to innovate, and the new players who don't have to stick with some of these measures. And that's where I see that this conflict arises, and often established companies have to balance all of these things out. And in the process, often they are not fast enough. They are not nimble or agile enough to compete with the newcomers. So I, I think, as Annie said, that established companies focus on this making the revenue numbers often is detrimental for the innovation. Thank you very much. Hosenman, love to get your quick thoughts on this. I can give you just one minute and then I'm going to have you start the predictions round. So Hosen, you can either comment on oh, the cash cow yeah. risk averse executives or you can just start with your prediction. I'll give you that option. Go ahead. All right. So uh, the, the cash cow, um, yeah, that, that's, uh, that is important. And, um, and then every executive or enterprise, they don't want to lose the money. But I think nowadays, a lot of the executive wanted to change, wanted to transform. They have a willingness to change. So they also are willingness to take a risk. So that's a big change from the past. Um, however, the, what kind of impact them to actually move on for, for that direction is that um, it's, it's because um, the they are not sure about um, the next business model, um, which might actually damage the, the existing business model and they, they might fail because the new business model is not the hobby. New business model is the, the transition to the next revenue generation, another cash cow. So, so Thank you, Hosen. Yeah. And now I'm going to give you 60 seconds. Look deep into the crystal ball, and I want you to tell me, let's look between now and 2020. It's only three New Year's Eves away, and the first one is fast approaching. OMG. So, Hosen Min, take a look and tell me, what will change significantly about this topic of innovation culture? Any any approach you want, I'm going to give you 60 seconds to share your predi- prediction with us. Go. So 2020, I don't think uh, it's, there are going to be a, any change on this topic. This topic will continue to be a, the big topic, and more and more people will have uh, some experience, and now they, they start to understand that uh, what is the real challenges behind it, what is needed for their organization. So they are for sure that this would be uh, another big topic to discuss. 
Thank you very much. I agree. And now let's turn to Serbi Shetsha. Serbi, I can give you as well a whole... Well, you know what? I'm going to give you 90 seconds. Go ahead, Serbi. What's your prediction? I would say that for me, I think environment um, or global warming is going to be one of the biggest challenge and people are going to get innovation about, get innovative about that. Autonomous driving is going to make, become, I think, reality in the next three to five years and that could change this whole culture because people, it, it's going to change the way society is done. People may be not work, going to companies, going to physical places. So there are a lot of changes I see in the next three to five years that's going to make the way we work different. So many of them may decide that I'm going to work for myself because I see millennials coming to that point where they say that I want to work for myself, I want to do something that's purposeful. So I think the innovation culture is going to be more and more around the topic of purposeful work. And that could mean in many ways, uh, it, 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 I think it's going to change the way we work today. Thank that's, you very that's much. What my prediction is. Thank you, Serbi. And Annie, oh, Annie, you get a whole 90 seconds and you can even push that a little harder if you want, a little longer. So go ahead, Annie. Wow. Okay. So, um, (laughs) you know, it took 35 years for the telephone to be adopted by one quarter of the U.S. population, but it took Facebook eight years to reach one billion users. So what I see is the innovation will no longer be confined by borders and countries. And we started, we have started to see that already. And it's my hope that, you know, as we continue on this journey of innovating for the good of all mankind, that the borderless um, reality becomes a everyday occurrence, that I can be innovating with friends across the pond in other continents to just bring goodness to you know, to more of the, the world's citizens. And I think for companies, um, they need to look at, because of that, where they will invest, where they will hire. I'm, I've been blessed to be in Silicon Valley, but I don't really think that this will continue to be the epicenter. Um, I actually recently just read that there is a new man-made island that's going to happen in the Middle East called Neom. So I think companies really need to pay attention to um, really embracing the whole globe as, as our uh, innovation center. Thank you very much. Very appropriate. And we appreciate the predictions from all three of you. And let's see what we've got here. This is the end of the 2017 season for our Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio. I have to do a shout out and a thank you of appreciation to our listeners all over the world. You have made this one of our most popular series, no matter what topics we put, no matter who comes on the show. And the topics are always very timely, obviously, and very interesting, well-spoken and insightful panelists like Hosen Min and Serbi Shesha and Annie Mu Hayward today. Uh, you seem to embrace these topics, and we have listeners who are listening not just to the live shows, but to the on-demand episodes. This is the end of the fourth year of Internet of Things with Game Changers Radio, so I know they're renewing for next year. We're very excited. Thank you to sponsor Ira Burke, who is now at the SAP DDM team. Thank you to Adam Mardini, who has been taking up the quest for good topics and good speakers. Adam, you really rocked it out of the park. Thank you so much. And Ru Jai also on the team has helped in the background. We appreciate that.
that. And I'm just going to do my closing here. My closing is, here's my call to action. I hope you're all ready. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Hosen Min, just like Serbi Shah, just like Annie Mew Hayward, and just like Aaron, our engineer at the Business Channel at World Talk Radio. I'm Bonnie D. Graham signing off for today. I'll be back next week with more live Game Changers Radio. Have a great one. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Internet of Things with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Thursdays at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.